Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The New Statesman. You're listening to audio long reads from The New Statesman, the best of our reported features and essays, read aloud. In this episode, When Eurovision Came to Liverpool, written by Kate Mossman and read by Anna Leskovich. This article was published in the 13th of May issue of the New Statesman magazine and online. On 30th of April, in the lobby of a budget hotel in Liverpool, for a good few hours I watched a group of young people in leathers sitting out on the smoking tables, talking earnestly, checking phones. The next day, they were still there, waiting for something. But this time, one of them, who has restricted growth, was carrying a wooden flute. Could this be a Eurovision band? It was Moldova's entry. Five girls and boys assembled round one of the country's most famous singers, Pasha Parfini, with a top knot and wearing a blue Hawaiian shirt who also represented his country in 2012. Why are they already here, waiting around, a full week before the opening ceremony? They had their first rehearsal on 13th of April, they tell me, as they work on adapting the visuals from their music video for the Liverpool Arena. Sorele Shiluna is a song about yin and yang, life and death, day and night, men and women, they explain. Each band member will wear one horn, and they will form the shape of the moon on the stage. The flautist, Sergiu Bors, is a traditional folk musician and actor back home. Their entry, a rousing indigenous track with Lord of the Rings aesthetics, is one of those Eurovision songs you hear less often these days, as globalised song structures flatten the festival's eclectic sound. Deep messages underlie a band's decision to resist Western pop song sounds, though it makes them less likely to win. Parfini talks intensely around a slightly nervous manager. The traditional elements in the music are vital to them because their country isn't very famous, he explains. We are cultural ambassadors. Moldova borders Ukraine. Its citizens received the first wave of refugees after the Russian invasion. They lost electricity. They got some rockets, but no injuries. People are nervous. Obviously, we were part of the Soviet Union for years. And we have a lot of people who, in some way, silently support Russian aggression. Our band want to promote peace and show that we are together with Ukraine. And from us, they can expect only help. Eurovision is political for him. You're not giving douze points to the band. 
It shouldn't, of course, be Liverpool hosting the 67th contest, but Ukraine, whose Kalush Orchestra won in 2022. The UK came second with the falsetto spaceman Sam Ryder, whose cardboard cutout can be seen in the windows of Victoria Street. Liverpool beat five other cities for the gig. The council made the case that they were good at big shows. In 2008, they were awarded the UK Capital of Culture. In 2012, the giant marionettes of the Sea Odyssey Festival were watched by 600,000. As the council's head of culture, Claire McColgan, tells me, we're also good at getting a central point and making it much bigger than it is, milking it for everything we've got. The council has spent £2 million on the contest, with the UK government supplying another £10 million, an investment the council hopes will see a £250 million return from an upturn in visitor numbers over the next three years. Everywhere I go, I hear the same phrase. If anyone can do Eurovision right, Liverpool can. The broad streets of the grand old city are already crammed with hen nights. As the fringe Euro festival gets underway, the parties will be endless. There will be a huge underwater sea disco in conjunction with Ukrainian designers, the Blue and Yellow Submarine Parade. The English National Opera will perform the hits of Eurovision in possibly its campest concert ever. Getting Eurovision was a big deal for a city recovering from the shame of losing its UNESCO World Heritage designation in 2021, only one of three places ever to do so for building the new Everton Stadium and various other multi-million pound modern developments on the Victorian Bramley Moor Dock. The honour was originally awarded for the waterfront's links to Liverpool's seafaring past. Around the same time, various members of the council were arrested on corruption charges, including the head of regeneration, Nick Kavanagh, and the mayor, Joe Anderson. Both deny the allegations, and neither have since been charged. Anderson once claimed the UNESCO honour was just a certificate on a wall. There are dozens of abandoned building sites in the city as a result of investments gone bad, like the North Point development up towards Bramley Moor, where old billboards promise restaurant, spa and gym are standard with every flat. Today, people talk affectionately of the modern glass boxes, known as the Three Disgraces, which now partially mask the Edwardian Three Graces on the pier head the Port of Liverpool building, the Royal Liver building and the Cunard building. Many point out that Bramley Moor wasn't really a place people went for its own sake and that football is culture, but Liverpool had a difficult relationship with its heritage. It still has its UNESCO City of Music status, awarded in 2015. Eurovision is thought to be bringing 100,000 visitors, plus 160 million global viewers, and £42 million in extra spending this year. But the Beatles bring in £82 million a year on their own. Brian Nasher Nash, the guitarist from Frankie Goes to Hollywood, now works as a funeral celebrant. On 20th of May 2020, the date of one of the Downing Street drinks events attended by Boris Johnson during lockdown, Nash performed three Covid funerals, while Johnson popped the corks 200 miles away he says, over a flat white in one of the city's many music museums. Frankie, who broke up in the late 80s, were Liverpool's second biggest band, and Nasher is suddenly extra busy, as the group has agreed to reform for the Eurovision opening ceremony on the 7th of May. The performance of Welcome to the Pleasure Dome, their first appearance together for 20 years, will last just four minutes. I wish I wasn't doing it, Nasher says flatly. 
At the thought of reforming for anything more than four minutes, the band's interpersonal relationships are not the greatest. He envisions his own tombstone, inscribed, Here lies Nasher, crushed by the excruciating minutiae of utter bullshit. He is not doing it for Eurovision, he says. He won't watch it. Or for Ukraine, but for Liverpool. A few times a year, Nasher heads up walking tours of the city, offering an alternative to the Beatles narrative and recreating the fizzing, wildly exciting days of Eric's Club in the late 70s, where you could watch Deaf School or Echo and the Bunnymen for 50p. He shows me an aerial photo on his phone of the protests that gathered at Royal Court and marched to Eric's when they closed it down in 1981 for spurious drugs reasons. He can't see himself in the picture, but he knows he was there, aged 18. The council's done more damage to this town than the Luftwaffe, he says. They filled in the cavern club and put a shopping mall on it. But there were difficult choices to be made because no one was giving us any money. Tory governments were giving us jack shit. So do we fix the roof on the sailors' home? They knocked it down. Or do we keep the parks open? As soon as militant, the extreme left Labour group which presided over Liverpool City Council from 1984 to 1987 were in. That was it. We were cut adrift politically. But metaphorically, I think this city has been cut adrift forever. The Royal Albert Dock, which we can see from our window was silt and wasteland when Frankie were going. It was developed by Michael Heseltine in the 80s and is now full of restaurants and Beatles-themed gift shops. One window features the band fashioned entirely from jelly beans on a grand scale. Though Margaret Thatcher oversaw a period of managed decline in Liverpool when, as one cabbie told me, we were like refugees, the city's relationship with Labour is shaky in the wake of the Labour Council's scandals. If someone had said 10 years ago that they were going to send Tory administrators into the council, there would have been riots in the streets, Nasha says. The fact there wasn't just proves that the people here know that there was a lot of dodgy shit going on. The article continues after the break. For the text version of this article and all our long reads, subscribe to The New Statesman for just £1 a week for 12 weeks using our special podcast offer. Just visit newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman comes World Review, a twice-weekly international news podcast. From Ukraine to Brazil, DC to China, we cover the stories that matter in a world that's constantly changing. Every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise – And then later in the week, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. Join us. Just search World Review wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Down in the Cavern Quarter, at 2pm, more music rings out than anywhere I've been outside of New Orleans, albeit hit and miss, and mostly covers. It is so unusual to find live music in the daytime in England. You pay £5 on the door of the cavern, not the original cavern, but a replica that was built from original bricks in 1984, and you can watch bands from 11am to midnight. On a Monday afternoon every week, local singer Sarah DeBow plays an intricate bluegrass take on the music of the Beatles and the stuff that inspired them, the kind of records brought over from New York by sailors on the Cunard. She segues her songs in an endless medley because she's not keen on the sound of 20 tourists clapping, but it feels a bit magical down there in the grimy arches. Yes, it's not the original club, and there are empty shops around the Scylla Black statue, and it's all a bit strange, but at least it's still happening. The historian Joe Moran of John Moores University says there's a higher level of casual musicality in the city because of its Irish and American DNA. It's always been a place on the edge, a little bit separate, he says. You don't go through it, unlike, say, Birmingham or Manchester. The football brought the city European funding when little was coming from central government and the capital of culture tag in 2008 brought in even more. As far as the rest of the world are concerned, says Moran, Liverpool is probably the UK's second city. Not far from Moran's offices is a new concert hall, funded by Yoko Ono and her family, and the LIPA Performing Arts School, co-founded by Paul McCartney. On the streets of the city centre, several Beatles tour companies function in reasonably friendly competition, like the magical mystery tour bus, one of whose drivers is Jay Johnson, the brother of Holly from Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Ian Doyle, with his electric cab painted like the yellow submarine, is the favourite on TripAdvisor for his personal tours, named Mad Day Out, after an obscure McCartney quote. A music obsessive with 35 guitars, he explores Beatles' sights, their respectful preservation and clunky misuse. When Paul McCartney came back to the city to do James Corden's Carpool Karaoke in 2018, he signed the street sign at Penny Lane. Within hours, 
fans had rubbed half his signature off with their thumbs in an attempt to get a little bit of pull on them, Doyle says. There is anxiety over sites so fragile and questions about how they should be preserved. The Penny Lane bus station, where John, Paul and George would connect on the same bus as teenagers, is closed. The building itself was bought by a businessman who hasn't done anything with it in years, despite the fact that 100 tourists pass it every day. There is a strange glass dome on top saying Sergeant Pepper, but otherwise, drivers just park up there to have a fag. Other Beatles shrines, however, are well-preserved. McCartney's Childhood Council House, where many of the Beatles' first songs were written, is owned by the National Trust, and the heritage body has just bought the one next to it so that the guides can make a cup of tea in a normal kitchen instead of a 50s replica one. Ono acquired Aunt Mimi's impressive 30s semi-detached in Walton with its stained glass windows where John Lennon was raised and gave it to the trust too. But George Harrison and Ringo Starr's childhood homes have been given over to the Airbnb industry. Doyle is amused by the fact that the American businessmen who bought Harrison's one-time home in Speak, near the airport, did so without knowing how far out of the city it was. No one wants to go out there. Starr, always the poor beetle, grew up in Dingle, near Toxteth, once one of the city's most impoverished areas and known for the race riots of 1981. But his old slum is getting a makeover. The red terraced houses have been renovated as part of a housing scheme that allows young couples to buy them for £70,000, providing they're local and stay there for five years. If they try and sell any sooner, they don't get to keep the profits. Parts of Peaky Blinders were filmed on one street. Ringo's huge face grins down from a rainbow mural on the side of the pub where his mum worked as a barmaid. The soon-to-be Airbnb across the street where he grew up wasn't quite finished in time for Eurovision, but it'll be open soon. The tourists keep coming for Ringo, even though in 2008 he said there was nothing about Liverpool that he missed. The Beatles are still Liverpool's industry, though Claire McColgan at the council proudly tells me that no one's asked her this year whether McCartney will be performing at the ceremony. They're asking whether Sonia is coming instead. In the UK, Eurovision's gradual shift away from irony and cultural mockery to full-scale mainstream celebration is mysterious, and everyone has their own idea of why it has happened. The power of TikTok for overseas bands, revolutions in LGBTQ rights, and the war in Ukraine. 19 of the Council's 24 fringe arts events are being done in conjunction with Ukrainian artists, many of whom are still working from bunkers. Out near Bramley Moor Dock, in a huge Victorian warehouse called the Invisible Wind Factory, there are sold-out performances of Chernobyldorf, a modern opera conceived by Opera Aperta in Kyiv. It features Renaissance costumes, six instances of full-frontal nudity, and a mutant brass instrument made from four or five trombones welded together. There's Orthodox church singing, shades of Purcell, and a rave scene not unlike the kind Liverpool was known for before Cream became an international brand. The old nightclub is now Flats. As the countdown to the final begins, serious Ukrainian art will doubtless be subsumed by euphoria, lip-syncing and underwater street parties. No one is complaining that it's coming. Better us than anyone else, says Nasha, facing his four minutes of fame. But I do think there's such a thing as Scouse exceptionalism. I mean, we're just not that impressed, are we? 
When Eurovision Came to Liverpool was written by Kate Mossman and read by me, Anna Leskovich. This has been Audio Long Reads from the New Statesman. This episode was produced by Misha Frankel Duval. The commissioning editor was Anna Leskovich. The features editor was Melissa Deans. And the executive producer was Adrian Bradley. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to like, subscribe, and rate the show. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.